Breeze over the mountains. This is episode 10, River's Edge from 1986. I'm Mike Manzi. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And back with us, Nicholas Cage expert, Keanu Reeves expert, question mark, <laughs> Lindsay Gibb. Hello, Lindsay. Hi. So now, when we brought you on for the first time for Cage Club, there was a clear reason why. Right. And it was because you wrote a book about Cage. It was wonderful. You loved him like we loved him. And so we invited you back for Keanu. Mm -hmm. But now, to my knowledge, you have not written any books about Keanu Reeves, have you? That's correct. What's your experience with him? Do you love him like you love Cage? Is it a different kind of love? Do you not really like him? Like, what's your what's your history with him? Well, as I mentioned to you when you decided to do Keanu as your next subject, it was kind of uncanny because the Toronto International Film Festival, and I'm from Toronto, has cinema that they run year-round called Bell Light Box. And in 2012, they did a Nicolas Cage retrospective. And then in 2013, they did a Keanu Reeves retrospective. So you guys are kind of following in their footsteps without knowing it. Which is crazy. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Because I don't think they've done another one like that since <laughs> well they're they're waiting for us i guess yeah they'll wait to see what you do next i didn't actually go to any of the keanu reeves movies when they had the retrospective there and now that i've been sort of just picking up keanu stuff because you guys are doing this podcast i feel like i should have because i did have kind of a meh feeling about keanu before and mm -hmm. now i'm excited i think he seems really interesting well what's sort of interesting about this movie i think that this is like a good one for you to join on maybe is that as we were talking before we started recording a lot of what he's been doing lately has been either or not lately but i mean to start his career is tv episodes and made for tv movies and after school specials and this is only you know this is the 10th episode we've done this is the 10th credit that we have been able to come across we had to skip a few but this was only like the second movie along with Youngblood that was like actually like a movie movie. Mm -hmm. It had like a $2 million budget. I think it made close to five in theaters. But it's got like a, another level of production quality and sort of experience behind the camera across the board than a lot of what we've been seeing lately. So I think it's good that you're here for this mm -hmm. in terms of like one of his early bigger named projects. Yeah. What's kind of interesting so far about his theatrical releases is that he's not going to be playing so much of a predominant role that he did in those after-school specials and those TV movies and such. So it'll be interesting to see how he's working his way in in the mainstream and how he works his way into this film and how much he's in it. I'm not really sure. Like, how would you describe? Because he's not the main character of this movie. I guess he's sort of one of the main characters, but I'm not even sure if there necessarily is a main character. It's kind of... It's kind like of I was an saying, it is. Yeah. This movie is sort of like Stand by Me meets David Lynch a little bit, and it's also mm -hmm. sort of like Twin Peaks in that there's like an ensemble. There's kind of a main character, it's sort of like a slice of life. Does this movie all take place in pretty much one night? Mm, that's a good question. Or, like, I guess... or 24 hours? No, because they they go to school the one day, and then there's the night, and then they go to school the next day. So there's at least maybe almost 48 hours. Yeah, I got the sense that it may have taken place over a week at the most, even. I feel like Keanu's the heart of the movie, in a sense. Like, as much as he's not the main character and he doesn't have the most lines or anything, he's kind of the moral compass of the movie. He's also the only one that we get to see his family. That's true. Right? Yeah. 
And so he is sort of the one that we emotionally connect with. And just, I guess, sort of like the last movie that we did, The Brotherhood of Justice, he's the one that we follow along with and that he, you know, he is the moral compass. He's the one that we relate to. And I think for most people who have their friends bring you to see like a dead body that you're saying you killed that person, I feel like most people would do what he did and sort of like walk away kind of disgusted. Right. Whereas most people were in this film were just confused or didn't know how to feel about it. Which is real weird. Obviously, I don't know how I would feel because that hasn't happened to me. But <laughs> as a teenager, even, I don't know how I would feel like someone you knew and then someone you knew killing someone else you knew. Like, I just feel like it would be so out there. I could see not knowing what to do. I feel like I would be like, I'd go tell my mom or something, but these people didn't have great families. I don't know if anybody did. It was hard to tell. You didn't see a lot of families other than Keanu. Yeah, on top of being teenagers and maybe not knowing what to do just for being teens, they also didn't exactly seem to be raised especially well, and they didn't seem like the most mature lot. It's a very confusing moment, and we're almost seeing everybody in shock after seeing a dead body and in ways that, that that's playing out for each of them. Yeah. And like, I think what this movie does well is that it captures all the different emotions. And I think, I mean, it's going to sound stupid maybe because I think it's the only character who's only in a line or only in the movie for the one line. But my favorite reaction to it is near the very, very end when there's like the reporter at the school interviewing kids and she goes up to that couple or, you know, the, the guy and the girl and the guy is just like, using all these like awkward phrases and just trying to like sound like really educated. And then at the end it's just like, Oh, and by the way, like I'm a guitarist too. And it's just like this kid who like, is just like a kid, like just, you know, a dumb kid. He's like, I know the guy, I know the girl who died. I know the guy who killed her. Allegedly. He keeps saying allegedly, like he's like, doesn't want to incriminate anybody. Right. And he's just like, I don't know how to answer your question. Like, I don't like, this is not something I've dealt with. Not something I should have dealt with. Like, it's just, I just feel awkward. I don't know how to say what I want to say. Yeah. Yeah, that was Tony, the kid whose house they went to, and then their dad, the dad, chased them down with a gun. Oh, <laughs> oh Tony with the Redskins shirt. But yeah, I felt like Crispin Glover's reaction to it was maybe the most interesting reaction, because he just took charge of the situation in a weird way, like by trying to protect John, the one who killed Jamie. But it's just like how seriously he takes the whole thing and how intense he is about it. You crazy motherfucker, John. Do you see this? <laughs> yeah, I see it. You crazy motherfucker. Why did you kill her? She was talking shit. You could fry for this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is unreal, completely unreal. Nobody has to find out. Okay, listen up. Got a lot of people here. Can bury her so she's never found. Is anybody gonna help me? 
he's like, guys, like we need an alibi. Like we need to bury this body. Like we need to take care of things. Like we can't let John go down for this. And everybody's like, yeah, I don't know. And even John's just like, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty much good. And like they just all walk away. And Christmas Glover's like, all right, like I guess I'm not gonna do anything about it now. But like that body is there for what feels like forever. But you know, if the movie's only taking place over two or three days, I guess it's just a day or two. But I mean, it's just laying there out in the open. She's hundred percent naked, and it only like moves when Crispin like rolls it down into the river. It just, I don't know. It just it, the whole thing is strange, obviously. But I'm surprised that nobody wants to do anything about it. It's like it's weird how detached everybody is, but also at the same time, I sort of get it. Yeah, I mean, when I say that I have a friend that, that I could see being like Crispin Glover, it might not be in a murder kind of situation, but <laughs> it it's like I can see. Crispin Glover's reaction to just like it's a weird catastrophe that we found ourselves in. I'm going to take charge of it in a really like over the top way. There's a moment when they're in the car. It's it's his character, which name is Lane, and Keanu Reeves' character named Matt, and then the the girl whose name Clarissa, I think. So Clarissa and Matt just get fed up with him and leave. And then Lane's like, I knew I was the only one who knew how to like take control of the situation. And it's like the whole time he, he just, he felt he was the only one who knew what to do. But really like, what's he doing? <laughs> Not <laughs> freaking out and driving around in his car, trying to hide John mostly. He's mostly proclaiming that we need to do something about this, <laughs> exactly. that we need to care about this. And it's interesting to see the way that he copes with it, that he tries to take charge of the situation and act like an adult. And yet he's probably the most juvenile out of each of them. You know, he, he pretends that it's almost like a movie, right? He's like, I'm like Chuck Norris, man. It's like a dead body. We have to hide my best friend. We're going to get you out of town. I've got this whole master plan. <sighs> it's like... Some fucking movie, you know? Friends in second grade fucking like this. And then one of us gets himself in potentially big trouble. And now we've got to deal with it. We've got to test our loyalty against all odds. It's kind of exciting. I feel like Chuck Norris, you know? <laughs> so I understand he means well, but he doesn't exactly have the resources to to do much in this situation yeah i feel like that it captures the movie sort of captures like that it's sort of like the frustration or the futility of being a kid right you have like all these grand ambitions and like you don't have any way to actually do what you think needs to be done or should be done and even i mean you see that in all the high school kids like all the people christian glover and keanu's age and ioni sky's age but you also sort of see that in Keanu's terrible little brother, he's upset that Keanu doesn't treat him well and that Keanu hit him or whatever. Everybody has this sense of right and wrong, yet nobody is able at this point in their life to really sort of fulfill that or like do anything about it, really. Yeah, these kids almost all feel like strays. Even though we see Keanu and his family, it's the most broken home you could imagine. <laughs> Since he's smoking dope in the living room, he's yelling and getting in fights with his stepdad, he's beating up his younger brother, his younger brother's trying to shoot him. Uh, he's got this poor little sister who's having a funeral for her Barbie doll in the backyard. It's just the most depressing situation. These kids are just, they're out there on their own with no guidance. And when they've gotten into trouble like this, they just clearly don't know how to handle themselves. Yeah, there's a great moment when Keanu... Matt is arguing with the mother's boyfriend 
and he says to him, like, all you do is fuck my mom and eat her food. And then the dad calls him a motherfucker and he calls him food eater. <laughs> hey, I saw your friend on TV tonight. I thought maybe I might catch you too. Fuck off. Don't you two start. What? His best friend killed a girl. That, that's big news. I mean, dumped the body and he bragged about it all around school. Woo! I bet you even know where he's hiding, don't you? They were caught don't give me that phony surprise shit, because I know something's up. Your fucking punk friend's been calling here all night, huh? What, he helped you kill the poor girl? Jim! Maybe he did. Maybe I am a killer. Why should you care? You just stay around here to fuck my mother and eat her food. Matt! Oh, he moves! You're a little fucking asshole. Try something. Jim, Jim. Motherfucker! Matt. Food eater! See? I'm gonna shove that up your ass! Come on! Come on! Come on! You're out! Come on, hit me! Go ahead! Hit me! A tough guy, huh? Yeah. Come on, show me how tough. Come on. Shit. But that whole family is like nuts. What what makes me sort of feel okay about it is that Keanu seems like a really good big brother to his sister, but he seems also like like in a sad way, he seems like the only one who cares about her at all. Tim, the little like terrible ten year old or whatever, steals her doll and throws it in the river to start the movie, and then I guess tears up her memorial at the doll's grave in the backyard. Keanu's the only one who visits the doll's funeral. The mom in front of the daughter is like, I'm tired of this. I'm going to leave all you guys behind like your dad did. I'm done being a mom. Yeah. And like this poor girl is just like probably four or five years old. And it's just like, oh, like she's going to be scarred for life. Yeah, he's the only legit one in the family who takes, I don't know, takes control. I mean, he walks off sometimes too, but he calmed down his mom when she was saying, I'm going to leave all of you. Yeah, he has that great line where he's like, we're just going through a rough patch. We're going, we're dealing with some shit right now, but it'll calm down again. To realize you're in that type of situation takes some maturity. So throughout the movie, too, he is the one who ends up doing most of the right things. The reason I think I gravitated toward him and that the movie sort of treats him almost like this lead in a way is because I feel like if he wasn't in this household or born in this environment, that he'd actually go on to accomplish pretty great things this guy it's just almost seems like a victim of circumstance for his character and that he's doing the best he can in these conditions well what i think is kind of cool is that the first time we see him and he's dressed like a punk throughout like he's rebelling against his family is rebelling against society but i don't think he really wants to like i think he just wants to be you know like a good kid like i think he wants a good relationship with his family i think he wants what he sort of kind of gets toward the end but i don't think it really is going to pay off i think he sort of wants that good relationship with a girl like ioni sky but at the same time even though they sit miss mcgill's tea together in the park she's also maybe dating crispin and also maybe kind of has a crush on her teacher so like that's not going to pay off He wants normalcy, I think, and he wants to be respected and sort of mature, and I think just doesn't know how to be, and it's like, it's sad. Yeah, he's even sort of reassured as to why more kids don't trust adults when he goes to the police station to report the dead body, and they pretty much turn on him, you know, instead of being uh, understanding, they're grilling him and yelling at him and interrogating him, and they treat him almost worse than they treat Crispin Glover when they drag Crispin in, and they have much more cause to treat him worse, so it's almost like they know this kid is from a bad side of the tracks, has a crappy family, has a bad reputation, 
So that follows around him too. And he even pushes through that. So he ends up pushing through and dealing with the adults and the authority and all that even. So I have to give his character a little more credit. Well, what's sort of coincidental is that this is now two movies in a row where he goes into the cops to like sort of confess something he knows, right? That mm-hmm. at the end of the Brotherhood of Justice, he goes and sort of rats on all of his brothers and rats on himself and leads to all of them getting arrested, in theory. In this movie, I mean, he really, he had nothing to do with it, but the cops, like, you know, you're an accessory after the fact, I could book you for this, I could book you for that. But, like, it feels like he's sort of getting unjustly, you know... Bullied. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, that. the cops just, like, coming down so hard on him, but, like, he just told you where a dead body is. He basically told you who did it, right? I understand that you could have come forward a little bit sooner, but, like, come on. Like, that's, that's just, it seems a little bit too aggressive toward Keanu. Yeah, it was really frustrating because we know, and maybe the cop was told, I, I don't remember, but that there was, you know, like 12 people or something that saw this body and Keanu's the only person who came forward. So to come down that hard on him is frustrating. The cop had this one line that got me so frustrated too and that you hear a lot in films when kids run into problems with the law and he's like, you know, you knew about this and you didn't do anything. And it's like, well, he's doing it now. This is what he's doing about it, you know? And he never really had a chance to decide what to do or how to make up his mind or or even come to a conclusion. It took him time to do the right thing, that's all. But, like, also at the same time, right? You're you're just like a 17-year-old, 18-year-old kid. He's the only one in that group of kids, and there's, like, by this point, what, like, eight of them, maybe, who know? And he's the only one who actually does anything about it in terms of beneficial to the law. Like, the only people who do anything about it at all are him and Crispin, and Crispin's just, like, doing, like, bad stuff. You know what I mean? The girls, Maggie and Clarissa, they um, they go to a phone and think right. about doing it, but then they chicken out. In one of my favorite little moments in the movie, they're, like, we don't know who to call. Oh, just call the operator. And then the one girl's like, I'll dial, you talk. And her dialing is just pressing zero. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, oh, thanks for, like, all the effort there. Like, you could call 911 and get rerouted. um, But she's just like, zero, all right, here's the phone. And she's like, oh, okay, like, that's, like, thanks for all your help. (laughs) They also put a quarter in and didn't take it back out when they gave up and left. What a waste. (laughs) Speaking of the girls, there's a moment just before they're being taken to see the body and they're walking together and they're like speculating whether there's actually going to be a body. And I think Clarissa says to Maggie, they're just trying to lure you up there to rape you. And Maggie says, you think so? As if she's flattered (laughs) by that. And you believe them? Well, a bunch of us are going up there to check it out. I don't know. Probably be some joke. Yeah, yeah. They're just trying to lure you up there so they can rape you. Do you think so? <laughs> well, yeah. That's what's sort of interesting is that like the whole point of the movie, at least the logline that's on IMDb, is that John, who we should mention, his name's not John. His last name just sort of sounds like toilet. It's like Talit, so they call him John, which is like the longest roundabout <laughs> way to get to a nickname. Yeah. I mean, like, Samson's, yeah. like, a cool name. Like, go, just go with Samson. The John explanation is such a quickly thrown away little line toward the end. It's spoken under under someone's breath, too. It's just right. it's so, yeah. so crazy. Well, the only explanation I have for that, maybe, is that the screenwriter was apparently visiting a friend, read in the newspaper the uh, this story about this girl who was killed. So this is, again, based on a true story. Kind of. It just sort of inspired him to write a screenplay. And then he based the characters in there off his friends. So the only thing that makes sense to my brain is that he has a friend with a really sort of convoluted nickname. Maybe it's a John, you know, maybe it's a talent that becomes John. Who knows? 
there's no other reason for that detail to be in the movie. Right. Yeah. I, I don't understand yeah, why. No. Samson should be the nickname because the guy's a big lumbering Ophi kind of guy who's, you know, like a Lenny or something like that. I thought his name was men. John Samson, but it's right. Samson something else. Right. Yeah, the joke seems to be that John is the nickname and, you know, nicknames are usually something not as plain as John. So right. that's supposed to be the joke, I think. Especially when you have a name like Samson, I guess. So the log line is that Samson kills his girlfriend with his bare hands. He chokes her to death. And then the whole kind of point of the movie is seeing how all of their friend circle reacts to the death. Crispin's sort of like excited about it. He pokes the dead bodies. He just thinks that she's just messing with them. Keanu seems scared and runs away. The girls think it's a joke and they think that it might be just like a ploy to rape them. And then they all get up there and they're all just sort of like creeped out. Like it's just, it's weird to see them react. But then it feels like there's so many different things going on in this movie that we sort of veer away from the dead body a little bit and sort of get into this town. It almost feels like, in the Twin Peaks sense, this could have been like a TV series as opposed to just a movie. Like It seems like it's almost a little too overstuffed with weirdo kind of crazy characters that we don't really get too much of a payoff for just because we don't have enough time. Yeah, with the whole Dennis Hopper part of it too, that's like, yeah, if it was a TV show, you could see a lot more backstory happening with Dennis Hopper since he's a guy who also killed his girlfriend in the past. Which is like, what's the point of that? Just that yeah. he's going to bond with John? Like, it's I just know. that, oh, we both killed a girl. You can bond over other things. Like, I don't I don't know. They don't yeah. really bond. Like, they don't get along just because they have that one thing in common. Because Dennis Hopper feels that he killed his girlfriend because he loved her. Whatever that's all about. And then... John didn't really, he's like, she was okay, I guess, but he just felt like powerful strangling the girl. Yeah, John did it more to feel something, anything, to feel alive. And Dennis Hopper's, he's like, man, you can't kill someone for that reason. You can only kill them if you love them enough. And I'm like, huh? That's crazy logic, but okay. <laughs> um, and yeah. his character does sort of feel like he walked right out of Twin Peaks as well. I mean, this movie does go on some tangents at times. And again, with Twin Peaks, I mean, it opens with a dead blonde girl by the river and everything. Yeah. I mean, really strange how many parallels. But uh, yeah, I do see how it sort of veers off course at some points and it gets into the Keanu and Ioni Sky relationship. It gets into the getting John out of town plot line and it gets into the little brother trying to acquire a, a fire piece to... To, I guess I guess the intent is to shoot his brother Keanu for beating him up and, and he's yeah. got one of the best lines to his little friend. Go get your nunchucks in your dad's car. I know where we can get a gun. I think the thing with Dennis Hopper, maybe although I'm not even sure if this is right the more that I think about it, it's that Dennis Hopper feels that he had to kill his girlfriend for whatever reason. John did it just because he wanted to, like he wanted to feel something. He's got that, like that thing about, you know, how she was dead there in his hands and he never felt more alive, like I think Mike just said. And like he just wanted to feel something. And I feel like the longer that they spend together, the more that in whatever sort of twisted mindset he has, Dennis Hopper's like, oh, we're not really alike. Like this guy's kind of a psycho, even though they both killed a girl who probably didn't deserve it. In Dennis Hopper's mind, he thinks that oh, like, I'm right, he's wrong, yeah. I'm scared of him, I need to take him out and then sort of, you know, atone for my sin or whatever. Yeah, because at the end he says to whomever he's talking to in his hospital room, I don't like killing people. It's like he does it only when he feels like 
he has to. So for some reason he felt like he had to kill his girlfriend and he felt like he had to kill John because yeah, maybe he thought he was nuts. There's a moment where John asks Dennis Hopper if he's a psycho and then Dennis Hopper says, no, I'm normal. Yeah. (laughs) Which to him he is though. I thought with that Dennis Hopper character from the get go though, I mean, he's, he's just right off the bat when uh, Crispin Glover goes to score some weed off him because he's just the local weed weed dealer, I guess. Uh, he answers the door with a gun and pointed at Crispin Glover, and he was slow dancing with a blow-up doll that right. he dressed up in women's clothing. So yeah. you know this guy is just, you don't mess with this guy and joke around <laughs> with him. Checks in the mail. <laughs> it's me, Feck Lane. Don't shoot, okay? I could blow your brains out. I, I know, Fag. I shot a girl once. I know. <laughs> you keep telling me that, Fag. You want to lower that barrel some? <laughs> I am your friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, you say so, huh? You're my friend? Yeah. Yeah, maybe so. Don't you try anything. <laughs> Won't you and Matt come in and... Uh, See Ellie. Oh, I'd love to, Feck, you know, but we're kind of, we're late for school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, how much you want, then? (laughs) Oh, come on. No, dude, I came by to see how you're doing. Good old Feck, you know. (laughs) How much you want? Uh, Just a couple joints. You're my friend. Of course. She had it coming, man. No, I know, Fag, you know, women are evil. You you had to kill her. Yeah, they're still after me, you know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. See ya. All right, I'll see ya. Well, thanks for the weed. <laughs> I almost got the sense that maybe he was in Nam or something or just saw too much in the shit at one point, came back and couldn't handle what society had become, so he he killed his girlfriend in the name of love or something. I almost wondered if he didn't even kill anyone until he killed John, just because he said that the cops have been trying to get him for 20 years so he can't leave his house, and I'm like, if they know where you live and you never leave the house, how could they not get you? Right. Then that sort of made me think, like, maybe nobody's actually after him, he's just paranoid. Yeah, it definitely seems, I mean, I didn't think about it during the movie because I was trying to sort of parse out so many other weird things that were going on. But now reflecting on it based on what Mike just said, it does feel like he has some form of PTSD. Like he saw something, something happened to him, you know, whether it was killing his girlfriend or whether it was something else altogether or whatever he thinks happened. He's 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 in a mess. He's a mess right now. And it's just too much for him to handle. The only thing that they really hint at is his motorcycle accident and how he lost his leg. I thought for sure he lost it in Nam, but they, he did, and he was a biker, and he saw his own severed leg get run over by the ambulance, and just and he wondered what was how much beer was left in the beer can next to the next to it lying in the road or something. So that sort of gives you a little more insight to his state of mind, as much a look into the past as we're ever going to get. You know, that's the only story from his past, and, and we don't even necessarily know if it's true. He could be pulling a Dark Knight Joker, you know, and just giving us a backstory to to sound tough. You know, I mean, he didn't like the way he really lost his leg, so he made that up. I feel like if this was a David Lynch movie, he would have explained that losing his leg and we would have actually seen the scene of it happening. 
and it would have been like really heightened and there would have yeah. been like a leg just sort of like in death roof just like flying through the air with nothing yeah. else in the shot what's weird i think and the reason i don't like fully love this movie is that there's so much potential for weirdness and they just don't follow through mm-hmm. like it almost feels like you know spiritually and i think they mentioned at some point it feels sort of like easy rider or it feels like the last picture show or all these ones were just like people just sort of hanging out and trying to like make sense of life kind of it wants to be a few different things i don't know like i the movie that i want it to be is not the movie that it is and i think that's the big problem for me i mean i don't know that necessarily the movie is good or bad it's just not the movie that i would sort of like it to become like i sort of want it to be weirder like a david lynch because all the pieces are there like you have weird people you have sort of like a crazy heightened thing that happens tons of like interesting characters that you develop to some extent they're all there just like do a little bit more do something a little bit different with it at some point when i was watching it i just focused on crispin glover and it just made the movie amazing to me (laughs) his voice and the intonation in his voice like you could just sort of fall into the ridiculousness of that like the way he would say like meat when he was talking to matt (laughs) yeah made no sense why did he talk like that his accent is it's like i don't know if you've seen this saturday night live skit the californians but Yes. This takes place in California, and I, he was doing that accent, the oh. super heavy, thick Californian accent, and just yes. going for it, really pushing it, really in, embodying this character. And I agree, Joey, that I think it could have gone further, but I think this is geared more toward the teen audience, and it goes pretty weird for teens, you know? I think it could go 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 more for adults, but as far as it goes, I think it's pretty weird for a teen film. Quite dark, too. Just with the fact that two guys in this movie have killed their girlfriends and the only reasons are she was mouthing off and I loved her. Not that there's any real good reason to kill your girlfriend. Right. Those reasons (laughs) were pretty rough. I think we should talk about, and I mentioned it before, but I think we should talk about the Ioni Sky character. And I'm not sure that this movie is necessarily fair to women. You know, maybe Lindsay can lend her (laughs) female expertise on this, but we have the main girl in this movie is a dead body we have the mom who's acting crazy we have the girl the daughter who's sort of acting crazy we've got the only other two girls in the movie are two that are like just sort of like one is don't want to like slut shame or whatever but i only sky is dating crispin glover sleeps with keanu reeves has a crush on the teacher the other one we don't really know anything about they're just talking about, like we were saying earlier, about, you know, just a ploy to bring you up there and rape you. And they're like, oh, do you think? Like, it's like a, a flattering. I think the Ioni Sky character is especially troubling, but I think the whole movie is just like, oh, like, you know, we have all these guys and we know all these things about the guys and the guys are actually doing things. And it seems like all the women are just like, I'm helpless. I don't know what I'm doing. Maybe. I don't feel like Maggie. So Maggie was the other friend. I don't really okay. feel like she was helpless. She was just kind of like, I don't care about this enough to like get caught up in it and then clarissa i feel like she was sort of like all the guys too though like lane is the major take control one but everybody else is kind of just going along with it too so yes clarissa gets walked all over by lane like when he comes and he's like bring your money and let's go and then she brings money and he just starts throwing it on the ground because it's not good enough I guess there's, like, no real super strong people, but they're all teens, so I think they're just kind of figuring out their lives. One aspect about the girls that I thought was really interesting is that they were friends with the girl that was killed. At least Ioni Sky was. There was that really 
it was kind of eerie this one shot when she's on the phone with Keanu and she looks over on her desk and there's a picture of her with the dead girl when the, when she was alive and Naomi Sky and her other friend are like all happy and cheerful and the, the dead girl's just looking straight at the camera like out smiling <laughs> it was just very creepy and just yeah. reminded me that yeah this is her friend from yeah. from an as an outsider looking at it it would be like why aren't you more upset about your dead friend and stuff but you don't know the complexities of what that relationship was even. And I think that's realistically portrayed in a, in a strange way in this movie, in the way that they're not sure how to react themselves when their own friend is dead. You know, I think that's more realistic than it might seem. I guess I sort of just wish it went a little bit deeper, right? Cause like, I guess in, in that sense that you don't know how people are going to react. It makes sense that she's kind of sleeping around a little bit. It makes sense that all she wants to do is get stoned with Keanu you know, her friend, whether it was like a, a real close friend or just sort of, you know, somebody who drifted away or whatever, you know, somebody you, you basically were really close with at one point is now gone. Mm-hmm. And potentially one of your other friends, or at least somebody you know, killed her and seemed like doesn't seem to have any remorse for it. Yeah. And so I can see her acting up, but I just sort of wish, like, I almost wish that the movie focused on less people yeah like there's they they, they they try to like flesh out so many things and like you know it's barely over an hour and a half and we they try to create these like emotional complexities or these like these emotional connections with all these different characters and it just doesn't pay off like if we had focused on just like keanu's family and clarissa and crispin like i don't even know because i guess the way that the story set up like there's no way to not do that like who do you, who do you cut out like i don't know yeah, other than like Maggie and Tony, who barely do anything. You'd have to get rid of the whole Dennis Hopper guy, right? I mean, he's yeah. as great as he is. He's taking up a lot of space in this movie that is required for the other kids. Like, I mean, maybe they're just trying to show he's the only adult that they can relate to. And look how screwed up he is. He's he's not an adult at all. This guy's life is a wreck. And they're pretty much headed in that direction. I mean, I don't know if they necessarily needed to hit hit us with that as hard. Mm-hmm. I think we get the idea by the way that they're acting that they're kind of going down the wrong path as it is. If we didn't have Dennis Hopper in this movie, like we could have just focused more strictly on the teens and seen how John bounced around maybe from house to house or just how they tried to get him out on their own. Like the whole Dennis Hopper thing, like, like he's sort of like my favorite part of the movie and also like a part that like I just can't really justify, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd agree with that. I mean, there is a moment where Clarissa, Matt, and Lane are in Lane's car. And you actually get, like, the closest idea of how some of the people feel about what happened because Clarissa explains that this made her feel like any of the guys in her life could kill her at any time since they're just busy defending a murderer. Well, since, first of all, somebody she knows killed someone she knows and then the rest of the guys are not doing anything about it and then lane says that the reason he's doing that is because he can't protect jamie now so john's the only one that he can take care of but if they could have fleshed that out more maybe we would have remembered those things <laughs> <laughs> like i feel like that's kind of a problem like, there's so much discussion like they try to make sense of things right but yeah. it's all sort of said in a way that like nothing really has any weight because they're, they're all not sure like, what they're talking about or like what means what. And so like mm-hmm. none of it really is like, oh, this is like what we're supposed to pay attention to as the audience. It's just because yeah. you, you can tell like they, they really don't know what's going on and they don't know if they should feel safe or feel like if this was something that could happen to them or just like sort of a weird one guy going crazy or 
Well, also while Clarissa and Lane are having that argument, Matt's sitting in the back seat of the car singing the Mission Impossible theme song, <laughs> which is a great moment, but it also kind of just confuses everything. You didn't have to call me a stupid bitch. You would have driven right past us. We had to yell something. You yelled at me. I've got a name, you know. You're lucky I didn't just drive right home. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry, Clarissa. But you've got to understand that in a time like this where every fucking second counts, a man can't waste his time choosing words. What is this, Mission Impossible? You could have done this all by yourself. I don't even see why you need us here. Okay, it's not like I need you here, like physically need you here. I mean, I can drive, I can collect money, but we're a gang and I need you here, you know? You shut up! You shut up back there! Yeah, it kind of undercuts the weight of what she's trying to say there, right? Right. What I do want to point out that I didn't think about while we were watching them, or while I was watching the movie, is that this is the second time we've seen Keanu in the back of a car. The first time was in Act of Vengeance when he was the hitman in the back, and she's like talking about like you know bringing all this life to the screen. So like whenever Keanu's in the back seat of a car, it's going to be an entertaining time. He's like a little kid in the back, just like you know doing his own thing, entertaining himself, bringing a little bit of life to the movie. What was up with Crispin Glover's car, by the way? It, it was as unique as Crispin is an actor. I mean, that thing was just tricked out in its own unique way. I just I couldn't understand what I was looking at every time I saw it. I was like, how did he make that thing? What is that thing? And I also was thinking, because they're, they're in the car a lot in this movie. I, mean, I don't know if that's a thing. I don't know how much, what percentage of movies take place in cars. But um, I almost got the sense that this movie could have been kind of a road trip in a sense that like you get, you pack the car with, you know, John, Crispin, Keanu, and Ioni, and you go up to Portland and, you know, we're on the run in a sense. And then you can get into an adventure on the road and things can fall apart and stuff can come to a head that way. I, I would have been up for that. Yeah, like, I think what's what's sort of strange is that, like, everything's so close. This movie, it, it reminded me of Stand By Me for a couple different reasons. Obviously, you know, the dead body, but, like, that whole movie is, like, the movie is the journey to the body. And here, just like, oh, the body's just, like, right over, <laughs> right over by the river. Like, let's just go take a walk. And, like, yeah. they just get there. Everything stays in town, and nobody really leaves. I mean, the big getaway from the world is bringing them to Dennis Hopper's house. And it seems like that's just sort of, like, on the outskirts of town. Like, it doesn't seem like it's really way out of the way because you know everybody's there like the kids you know steal the dad's car and the kids are there and it's just like everybody knows where it is i agree that i think that they i don't know necessarily like a road trip but like go somewhere make it a little bit bigger expand the world a little bit this movie needed to open up a little bit more it didn't quite accomplish what something like the movie Joe when Nick Cage accomplished, where that is set in a town and it in and of itself, the setting is like a character in the story. And I think this movie could have done that, but missed that opportunity, but might have right. thought it got that accomplished. And it doesn't quite get it done right. It just seemed like there's barely enough here for a movie because Joey, like you said, but stand by me, the dead body is at the end of that movie. The dead body is at the beginning of this movie. So okay, what do we do for an hour? We just kind of sit around and <laughs> while that worked with something like Twin Peaks as a TV show, because they could stretch it out and this in 90 minutes couldn't quite accomplish that. Like, I don't think it's necessarily a bad movie. I think that there's just missed opportunities to go bigger or go weirder or even go smaller. Like, not even necessarily go bigger, but go smaller. Like, I feel that the level of focus that's paid to the town as the characters is just like an odd middle ground that doesn't necessarily make sense. 
I feel like the characters that we know the best, I want to know more about, and the characters that we don't know well, like I, I also sort of want to know more about. Either like give us more about people, or just cut them out. Like I think what we've been saying, like everything is sort of in this awkward. We kind of know what you're doing, and we kind of know who these people are, and we kind of know where we are, but nothing's really fully developed or developed to the point where like you can be like oh like do you remember that like specific thing like it's all just like you know like weird little moments and i guess it sort of plays back to that slice of life like these are just kids coming of age and sort of coming to grips with like this major event you know a death and probably their first funeral and maybe their first open casket funeral who knows Mm -hmm. like if that's the point of the movie if it's just sort of them coming to terms with things then maybe it accomplishes the goal a little bit better. But like I think as a narrative, I don't know that it necessarily conveys the story it wants to go with. Also, it really feels like there isn't much more to learn about John. So having that side story with Dennis Hopper and John, it feels like it's there so that we can see who John is through Dennis Hopper, I guess. But there's, it just feels like there's not much to him other than the fact that he killed someone. Yeah, we only get one quick scene where we find out that he lives with his aunt who's mm-hmm. not all there mentally you know she wants to read the cat in a hat before she goes to bed at night and then we also learn that he killed his the girl because she badmouthed his dead mother so the only thing we really know is that his mom's dead and he takes care of his mental aunt but you're right we you know, we only get these little flashes of their life i mean even with their one friend like we only know about him is that his dad guards the house with a shotgun and has no problem shooting at his friends we just get these little glimpses not enough to really develop a character and it just leaves you wanting more yeah 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 like i want i want more scenes of samson with his aunt so that i can understand him more and why why he may have acted the way he did and why he has these trains of thoughts and and i really want to know where crispin glover goes at night and what his family life is like too <laughs> he that just drives been. around yeah he just drives around at night doing lewds yeah i want to know what was up with the thumbnail on the dead lady yeah <laughs> they just kept yeah. showing it and it was so gross this is before twin peaks so it's not like they're you know yeah. referencing laura palmer with the fingernail or like the letter under her fingernail mm-hmm. it's just another dead body with a big fingernail it just it's it's like David Lynch saw this and was just like, oh, I can do this way better. Like, <laughs> just let me let me at it. That dead body was super creepy. It must have been a real girl that was laying there in makeup. I mean, if not, that was just an amazing prop because every time they showed it, I just got chills. And each time they went back to her, she had like more dirt on her and stuff. Yeah, it was... Mm-hmm. I feel like this movie was very well shot, too. It had a really nice shot in the beginning of the fog on the bridge. I was like, okay, at least we're in for some competent filmmaking and people behind the camera know what they're doing. It's all sort of going to depend on the script and the story and if that can hold together. I don't think I have anything else that I want to say about this movie. Is there anything else that we didn't cover that you guys wanted to? I'll let Lindsay go first. Anything else in your notes that you wanted to mention in terms of whatever for the movie? So sadly, I mostly have notes about Crispin Glover. I had barely anything about Keanu Reeves just because of how small his role was and how big Crispin Glover was. But one thing I'm curious about is if, like Nicolas Cage, this role was like more Crispin Glover than it was like what was written originally. I'd like to know how much Lane was, you know, what he did. And I love just the final moment where he lays face down by the river. <laughs> he just lays down on his face. 
Yeah, I mean, we've seen him, like, he's maybe in a movie full of extreme weirdness that is wild at heart, which we talked about for Cage Club. Mm. I mean, he's one of the weirdest characters in that movie. He's only in the movie for, like, 30 seconds or a minute, but, like, it's crazy. That's a good point. Like, I wonder if, how much they actually gave him and then how much he's like, oh, no, I can make this weird. Like, just, like, let me at it. Yeah, I felt yeah, like it... I could feel that character, Cousin Dale, or I forget what his name is, in Wild at Heart, but I feel like I could feel that character at moments. Like, I, there's a point where he's on the phone with John, and I just, it was, like, the brooding intensity of what he was going to do. I just expected him to be like, I'm making my lunch. that's pretty interesting because when we were watching young blood i got the same feeling about keanu in that movie like he's barely in it but he has a french canadian accent in that movie and so my theory was that he showed up with a fully formed character that wasn't necessarily in the script and he made it so that he was going to be so amazing that they had to get him on camera saying lines of dialogue with his accent and stuff so i do wonder if crispin glover showed up and looked at the script and was like, all right, I'm going to take this one step beyond. I'm going to bring this accent. I'm going to bring this hair and this jacket. Yeah. Or I'm just going to really form my character and take it as far as I can. And then it just it's, it's impossible for the filmmaker to say no to something like that. So I guess what we're saying is if you're going to watch this movie, uh, watch it with Crispin Glover as the focus like Lindsay did the second time around. Because he's the one – he's really the only one like doing anything notable, I would say, right? Mm-hmm. You could say Dennis Hopper, but I think Dennis Hopper has played that character maybe feel, later in his career. I don't know. I feel like Dennis Hopper's not bringing a lot to that. I feel yeah. like that's all stuff that's in the script. Like, oh, you play saxophone and it's terrible, and you've got a blow up doll, and you killed your girl, maybe. But like, it's not like he's doing anything to like elevate that. It's just like, oh, that's like a crazy messed up guy, and it just happens to be you know this crazy actor playing him. True. True. But, but he really sells it. You know, like how many actors can really sell? dancing with a blow-up doll and go like yeah i could i could see that like looking in this guy's window <laughs> you know like yeah. I, dennis hopper sells it for me so for keanu i'd say one thing i recognized about him even this early on he's got a very distinct walk i don't know if you noticed that but very early on and even to this day he sort of has this lumber to him i don't know his gait is just very recognizable hmm. to me in some way so when he first was walking away on the beach, I was like, wow, like, that is just very distinct, recognizably Keanu walking. Huh. I'll have to look for that. I don't think I've paid attention to that. I mean, we, we know his his speech affectations and the way that he sort of talks, like that kind of surfer bro, and that'll come and go throughout his career. But I, didn't, I don't think I ever paid attention to his walks. So I'm excited to sort of look for his walk in future movies. Uh, Lindsay, anything else? I think that was it. All right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. You'll be back for a few more Keanu's. I'm excited for you to come back for the Paula Abdul Rush Rush video because I don't know what we're going to talk about in that episode. I think you're back for a couple other things maybe between now and then. I'm not sure. But thank you for joining us. And I hope we sort of opened you up to the world of Keanu a little bit. For sure. I'm excited. So for all things Keanu Club and Cage Club, like all Lindsay Gibbs past episodes on Cage Club, you can go to cageclub.me or facebook.com slash cage club. You can find out about Keanu and Cage and Monkey Club and Zack Attack and all your movie podcast needs, at least the ones that we cover. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was Lindsay Gibb, and we'll see you next time on Keanu Club. <laughs>